It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. With you for the next 60 minutes, he's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show on our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We have a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to have three guests. We're going to look ahead to the NFL draft. We'll break down two schools. But right off the top, we are in the midst of the NFL owners meeting in Florida, and our very own Michael Eisen, Giants.com senior writer and editor, is covering the ongoing to the Giants down in Florida, and we bring him on right now. Mike, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Hope all as well. How are things on your end? Uh, things are great here. How are things in New Jersey? Well, we're hanging through some of the winter weather that doesn't want to leave us, so that's what we're trying to deal with. I'm sure Mother Nature is treating you much kindly down in Florida, and I believe, Mike, you had Brian Dable address the media this morning I know you wrote up what John Mara had to say and Joe Shane, and fans can check that out on Giants.com, and we'll get into that. But what was the main takeaway from what Brian Dable told reporters this morning? Well, he talked about a, uh, uh, numerous subjects today. Uh, he was peppered with questions um, just on a whole lot of different things. A uh, couple of things that came out. Uh, he did say that uh, when the off-season program begins on Monday, that Daniel Jones, quote, should be ready to go. Uh, so there are no issues, apparently, with his neck now. He, he expects um, uh, Daniel to be ready on um, Monday. Uh, there was some news the other day that uh, Joe Shane had reached out to Saquon Barkley, uh, after his comments uh, at the NFL Combine, which kind of hinted that maybe he'd be open to trading Saquon, uh, Brian uh, Dable said he also reached out to Saquon. And a, a big theme about what uh, Dable talked about this morning was communication that uh, uh, he he has emphasized to the coaches. Um, you know, when they when they get there Monday for the start of the program, it's not just. Uh, teaching them the schemes and the system. Uh, he said to the coaches, uh, I want you to get to know the players. I want you to start building relationships with them. Ask them about their families. It's important to get to know each other. Uh, he really brought back a couple of times the, the uh, themes of communicating and relating to the players and, and, and everyone bonding with each other more so than you know, the importance of, oh, we're finally getting together to teach them some football. Mike, one of the things that, that I was trying to, to, to kind of ascertain is the fact that the offseason program, I guess, begins on Monday. That's when the players will actually be back at the facility. Do we know exactly how the next month or two is going to shake out in terms of the offseason schedule yet? Uh, well, it's going to be uh, not really specifically, but, you know, it's the, the offseason program, I think, is the first phase. You're not allowed on the field. Uh, certainly with a new coach and a new staff, there's going to be a lot of classroom work. 
but I don't think uh, structurally it's going to be that different from past offseason programs because the league kind of mandates what you can and can do, can't do in phase one, two, and three. So, uh, you know, again, Brian, it really seems, I don't want to say more concerned, but as concerned with uh, getting the coaches to know the players uh, as people and rather than, you know, let's make sure we teach, you know, th- th- these running plays today or these passing plays this week. Mike, I think the only reason I'm asking is because for, from a fan's perspective, when they hear the offseason program starts Monday and Daniel Jones should be ready to go, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean he gets to throw some to his teammates? Does that mean it's classwork? Does, you know, you understand what I mean? I think the fans don't necessarily yeah, yeah. understand the details of what, what does that mean about his status? Yeah, I, my, my understanding, I mean, Brian didn't go into that detail. He was not asked that much detail. I took it to mean uh, if he is on the field, he is able to throw normally. I don't know. I, I, it's been a while since we had a normal off-season program. Uh, I don't remember. I don't, I'm not even sure if phase one, if they're allowed on the field. Uh, but it, I, if he is allowed on the field and he can throw to receivers, Daniel is physically capable of doing that. Well, that's certainly good news. Absolutely. Yes, and on the topic, Mike, of Daniel Jones, I think – in the wake of the Tyrod Taylor signing, a lot of people were speculating, well, maybe there will be some type of a quarterback competition given Taylor's starting experience, even though John Mara, Joe Shane, and Brian Dable have publicly, in their introductory pressers, been very supportive of Daniel Jones. How much was that sentiment further padded based on what you heard over the course of these owners' meetings? Uh yeah, they, they, uh, there's still very strong support for Daniel from John Mara. John Mara, Joe, and Brian all said that. Um, you know, Brian, as the coach, was a little more technical. He was asked about cutting down on turnovers, uh, you know, Daniel cutting down on turnovers, and maybe, you know, maybe Daniel not running as much as he did. But uh, the Tyrod Taylor signing was really uh, just to – Really, bluntly, if something should happen to Daniel and he has missed games in each of his first three years, uh, the Giants needed a quarterback who could step in and win games, which, look, let's be honest, that didn't happen last year. Sure. And uh, Taylor is a guy with starting experience in the league. He has had success. He has started a playoff game. Uh, but I, I, I think it's incorrect to say there is going to be a quarterback competition. Now, Brian's going to say there's competition at every position. That's what coaches say. But, you know, Daniel, unless there's some act of God that we can't predict right now, Daniel's a quarterback. Mike, let me ask you to put it into complete context because some of the snippets that have come out on Twitter by some of the New York media that have been down there in Florida, apparently uh, there was some conversation about what's going on with James Bradbury and also Coach Dable, uh, I guess, was asked about offensive tackles and your your want to try to get one of those guys in the draft uh kind of if you can flesh that out for us a bit because i hate reading text uh texted quotes out of context yeah well as far as bradbury goes and i'm actually uh scrolling through uh his uh uh interview today uh so what's your take on the james bradbury situation 
and uh, blah, blah, blah. Again, a long way until the season starts, and there's probably probably a lot of things that could go either way. I think it's just a fluid situation. That's basically what Joe Shane said yesterday. Um, so <laughs> Joe, Joe said yes. Joe stated the obvious yesterday. Uh, James Bradbury is still on the roster. Uh, obviously, if James Bradbury stays on the roster, and Joe said this yesterday, that the Giants are probably going to have to do something creative financially uh, because of their salary cap position. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I think of all, uh, probably of all the people on the roster right now, certainly among the top-tier players, Bradbury uh, deserves the most scrutiny right now because he does have a high cap number. And he is a very good player, um, so there could be interest in him at some point. So, uh, you know, I, there's certainly no ironclad guarantee that Bradbury is going to be on the roster when the season starts. Anything about the the offensive line situation? As apparently he was asked about that too. Uh, yeah, well, he basically said, you know, we have to get one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, fair enough. Well, he, he said he was asked. Uh, um, uh, oh, here we go. Here's the question. I'll just I'll just read exactly what he said. Uh, the question was: You guys have signed a lot of interior offensive linemen. How do you feel about your right tackle situation right now? And Brian's quote was: I'd say we'd be looking to add whatever that may be. That's an important important spot. Uh, the interior spot is important. Uh, like I said, we have a long way to go. So, yeah, he, he said we basically have to add a right tackle. We, you know, we don't have a right tackle. Right I don't now. think anybody's going to argue with that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think we're going to open go out their opening day with four offensive linemen. Just, just a wild guess of mine. <laughs> yeah, slightly important to make sure that the edges of the offensive line are finalized before yeah, they get to right. one. Yes, as we're yeah. talking to Michael Isaac, Giants.com senior writer, editor. He is at the NFL owners' meetings in Florida. Michael, the offensive line also obviously could dictate what they're going to do in the draft. They have the fifth and the seventh overall picks. How much came up in the dialogue, mainly with Joe Shane and Brian Dable this morning, about where they may be leaning, what they're entertaining, and how open they are in terms of potential targets at the fifth and the seventh overall picks? I'm not saying specific players, because clearly they're not going to reveal that, but maybe positional priorities, anything that you took away from that. Yeah, you know, they were uh, very uh, circumspect about that. They certainly, you know, Joe, the way Joe Shane put it yesterday is uh, we just want to find seven players uh, because obviously we have the fifth and seventh picks. So if they get seven players they like, um, uh, here it is. I'm I starting. I'm, so really honestly right now we're trying to find who are the seven players we like. Uh, if we find seven players that we like as players, as people, that'll be good for the organization. I'll sleep good at night. Uh, and then, of course, there's always the possibility of trading back. And he said, hey, maybe we need 10 guys. Maybe we need 11. Maybe we need 13. If we decide to move back, then they'll expand that. But uh, that's his basic uh, – his way of saying, I'm not telling you guys anything right now about potential <laughs> trades. I'm looking, we have the fifth and the seventh picks, so I'm looking for seven players I like. If we happen to trade down to, say, 15, then we're going to find 15 players that we like. So there's really uh, no uh, hints about what he might do. But, you know, look, he, he 
there are teams uh, looking for quarter. There are teams desperate for quarterbacks. Uh, the Giants are certainly in a uh, advantageous position if they do want to trade. Mike, final question for me is more big picture. Do you get any vibe from being down there the last couple of days that there is one particular dramatic change that's going to be coming into play in terms of the NFL rulebook? I know there have been a bunch of them that have been talked about, but do you get a vibe that, that something's imminent? Uh, you know, quite frankly, Paul, just the opposite. Um, I, uh, for many years after the annual meeting, I would sit down with John Mara and uh, talk to him about uh, the competition committee uh, deliberations and the new rules and, uh, uh, you know, what we could expect that will be different in the coming season. And John hosted a dinner a, a couple nights ago, and we were walking back, and I said to him, boy, there's really nothing going on in the competition committee this year. <laughs> he said, other, other than the potential changes in the overtime rules, there's there's literally almost nothing going on in that regard, Paul. Wow. So wow. Uh, it's actually just the opposite. There's going to be, uh, I think they're voting today on uh, potential change to the overtime rules, which would you know almost certainly mean each team would get a possession in overtime. But other than that, there's not only is there not anything dramatic, there's not anything. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the sun, Mike. <laughs> yes, Mike, greatly okay, appreciate the time much. and the insight. You got it. All Michael right, Eisen. Absolutely. Same to you. And safe travels back to Jersey as Michael Eisen, Giants.com, senior writer and editor, weighing in on the ongoings at the NFL owners' meetings and what John Mara, Joe Shane, and Brian Dable had to say. And certainly there's full coverage up on Giants.com. Mike actually has two articles already posted, a great summary of what John Mara told the media and a great summary of what Joe Shane told the media. He'll obviously have something posted on Brian Dable shortly. So anything you may have missed, stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. So that is what is happening at the NFL owners meetings. But we are also inching closer to the NFL draft, and we're going to cover two teams today. We're going to focus on the middle of the country, Two Big Ten schools. We're going to have Michigan State as well as Minnesota as we continue to look ahead at the draft. And this is really an exciting time, at least maybe even more so than in recent years, Paul, for the Giants because as we were just talking with Mike about, you got five, you got seven. So you can really put some of these prospects under the microscope. They could go in a variety of different directions, and that's more of a reason why you know we're trying to really cover the landscape as a whole, which we normally do. But I think there's a little bit more added intrigue this year because we haven't necessarily been in this situation where they've had two top ten picks in quite some time. Well, it's the first time in franchise history that yeah. the Giants have had two top ten picks, which makes this incredibly intriguing because either A, they're going to go grab two guys, or maybe B, they're going to grab one guy and trade one, and then there's always the chance they could trade out both, which I don't think is going to happen, but it certainly exists as a possibility. Well, with that being said, let's not waste any more time. Let's turn our attention to the first school that we're going to put under the microscope, and that is Michigan State. And to break down the Spartans draft class this year, we now have Jason Strayhorn, Michigan State Radio analyst with us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jason, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino. Greatly appreciate the time. How's everything on your end? Things are going well, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well, and we certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us. And 
Michigan State's class certainly has a few notable players. I actually want to start with the running back position because I think, <laughs> excuse me, getting choked up and emotional apparently over prospects. Kenneth Walker <laughs> is the guy that I think has most of the appeal. He played his first two seasons, Jason, at Wake Forest. And then last year we saw him at Michigan State. And really all of a sudden, I would say came out of nowhere a little bit because if you look at his numbers and his production at Wake Forest, it's really apples and oranges compared to what he did at Michigan State. So what was it about how the Spartans utilized him that made him a far more appealing running back, you think? You know, I just think that it's a product of, uh, you know, obviously Jay Johnson, offensive coordinator, looking at his talent level and, and really focusing on using uh, what what his talents are. When you talk about a guy like Kenneth Walker III, this is the hardest-working athlete that myself, Mel Tucker, will tell you the same thing, and he's been around maybe more athletes than myself has ever been around. I mean, the, the, his, he's a better teammate than he is a football player, and he's a hell of a football player. Um, he's infectious as far as his attitude and his work ethic, as I said. And so, you know, it's it's no wonder that he had the production that he had when you saw the work and how he went about his business day in and day out, even until this past weekend. I was in town watching a Mississippi State Spring scrimmage, and he's there helping the, the younger guys uh, go through their progressions and learn how to do pass protections, and, and he's doing drills after practice. I mean, the guy just – Oozes football, he loves it, and uh, whoever drafts him is going to get one heck of a football player. Jason, I'm glad you just brought up pass protection a moment ago in your statement because when you look at his numbers, right, 5'9", 211, and ran a sub 4'4", and I know from looking at the tape he's got jukes, he's got really good ability to get yards after contact, and in some ways you say, well, my God, he'd be a great third down back in the NFL but then you say, well, wait a minute. He better be able to pass protect where being a third down back in this league is not a good idea. Oh, you have to be able to pass protect and be a, a quality running back in the NFL. We know that the NFL has devalued the running back position because of the, the injuries. This was, you know, that's the elephant in the room. As many, as many uh, carries you get and hits on your body, those things add up over time. Uh, but Mel Tucker promised him and his family they would not – uh, use him up and leave meat on the tire, so to speak. So, you know, in games like Ohio State where it got out of hand pretty quickly, you didn't see a high amount of carries for Kenneth Walker, you know, to just for stats' sake. And it may have hurt him as far as the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony is concerned, but for his NFL career, it bodes well for that. So he's a, he's a for me, to me, he's an every down back. No doubt about it. Well, I'm glad you brought up, Jason, the workload and the usage because I think given the short shelf life, right, of running backs in the NFL, teams are a little bit concerned should they invest a high pick in a guy who may not stay fully healthy over the course of the rookie contract. So when you talk about the fact that Michigan State was looking out for his well-being, and as I mentioned off the top, Wake Forest didn't nearly utilize him as much as Michigan State did, how much more gas do you believe then he has in the tank an upside in comparison to most running backs who play four full years as a starter entering the draft around this time of the year? I think that the fact that he hasn't had as many carries as a lot of those backs that you're talking about, only three years removed from high school, and the fact that he is a gym rat, a guy who's going to be the first guy in the facility, and a guy who's going to stay long after, Everyone else has gone home, like those second and third contract type of players. 
He brings that mindset as a rookie. You do not have to teach him this. He is not a guy who's going to be hanging out and having inflammation and, you know, joint pains and things like that that happen with a lot of guys who come into money early. He really is a veteran mentality guy that I think can play at a high level into his early to mid-30s. He is one of those guys. I just saw a guy like Adrian Peterson who has still been able to play at a high level, you know, physically, uh, even though he's now an older player. This is the type of physical specimen that you get with Kenneth Walker III. Well, I'll tell you something else, uh, Jason, that, that we all know here in North Jersey, that Connor Hayward comes from a football family. We all know about his dad. My God, he was all state here and is a legend in these parts. Where is he going to fit in the NFL? I've seen some people say, well, he could be part of a running back room. I've seen other people say, well, he should be an H-back, more of a, a tight end type of guy. Although at, at 5'11", 233, that doesn't necessarily scream tight end to me. Where, where does he project once he gets to this level? I think that's where it's going to be in that H back area. I don't think he's as good of a running back as you would per se, like a, like a Kenneth Walker. He doesn't have that forward lean, but what he does have is tremendous athletic ability, great hands. His hands are off the charts, and his ability to jump and jump cut, make tight rope tight catches on the sideline, and he's a mismatch. When you talk about linebackers being able to cover him into the flat and being able to stretch the field on wheel routes. Uh, being able to get down the seam on some safeties. He's got the ability, like I said, to jump very, very high, and he's an explosive player. He's got the pedigree. His father obviously was a great running back, Craig Ironhead Hayward, and his brother, uh, who's a stud for the Pittsburgh Steelers, defensive lineman, Mm -hmm. making himself out for a Hall of Fame career too. So you can't go wrong with that Hayward pedigree. Oh, trust me. I think, Jason, that entire Haywood family eats footballs for breakfast from the time they're in the cradle. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt about it. No doubt. Yeah, they're chewing on some form of pigskin in that family. I don't think there's any doubt about it. With respect to Haywood's usage and his numbers, I know Paul, Jason asked you about, is he more of an H-back? Is he a tight end? The other thing that I noticed was the production fluctuated. And I know there were a few seasons where I think that was a reflection he just didn't play a lot of games. For example, he played four games in 2019, and then he played 12 games in 2021. So obviously that's going to impact production. But how did the usage play into the numbers that did fluctuate throughout the course of his career? Well, I mean, I think that with the Antonio staff, you know, there was some some angst, some, some struggles there with him in 2019 when he thought about uh, going into the transfer portal. There was a coaching change made. Uh, enter Mel Tucker. And then, you know, Mel Tucker will talk him back into coming back. But as we all know, then COVID hit. It was a serious change for everyone. Uh, transformation for him physically. He had put on some weight and then lost it and came back and said, look, okay, I'm not a running back but I can help the team. I'll do whatever it takes to be a good teammate and help the team win. And that's where he found his role as a tight end slash H-back. Uh, you talked to Mel Tucker about him, a guy who's been around the NFL for 10 years himself, uh, coaching and working under Nick Saban. Back in my day, he tells you, like, you got to find a place for a guy like Connor Hayward on your roster. He is just a flat-out football player. Don't worry about his height and his measurables, but he can play the game. He will be productive for you 
in those clutch moments because it's in his blood and he has the ability to make those explosive plays when you want to count on him and you need him the most. Well, I'll tell you something else, Jason, that I don't think there's any doubt about, and that is if Jalen Naylor had not had so many injuries during his collegiate career, he probably would be talked about a lot more in this draft, despite the fact that it's very deep and wide receivers. Do you think the injuries, whether it was the foot, the hand, and I know there was an undisclosed injury as an underclassman, do you think they were more circumstantial? Or is there going to be a, a lot of folks at the NFL level who are going to label him injury-prone and therefore they will shy away from him? I think that there's going to be that. There's going to be people who are saying that he's injury-prone. Obviously, that's what the NFL does, right? They find a way, not, reasons not to draft you. And I think that the fact that he had those injuries and he didn't run a ridiculous time in this deep NFL uh, receiver draft, as you just, uh, you just stated, it, that's the reason he'll go into the later round. I think that he's a great talent. I think that, yes, could he have come back and probably voted himself a little bit better of a draft position? Yes, but he felt that he was ready to go. And when a kid's mind is made up, you have to go ahead and, and go with where he's at. I saw him this weekend. He's training. Uh, he's out in Las Vegas, his hometown, getting, getting his mind right and his body right. Uh, he's a guy who can make the, the crazy acrobatic circus catch He'll, he scored what, four touchdowns in the first half uh, against Rutgers. I mean, you can see him making great plays. It's the circus catch he made against Pitt in the uh, the Peach Bowl in his last collegiate ball game was great. He's got to get a little better at the 50-50 ball and then find a way to stay healthy throughout his career. And those are things that you know guys like with the mentality that I said that Kenneth Walker has and the veteran leadership, those are the things that he has to learn in order to continue to stay in the NFL and play for a longer time. But he definitely has that ability to get there. But to me, he's definitely going to be a fifth or a later round draft pick uh, because of his collegiate uh, career. We're talking with Jason Strayhorn, Michigan State radio analyst. Jason, last one for me. I want to switch gears to the defensive side of the ball. I know Michigan State has a few guys that are projected to probably be undrafted free agents as opposed to being selected. But somebody whose numbers at least jumped off the page this past season was defensive end Jacob Panashuk who had 11 sacks in 11 games I know his numbers don't necessarily jump off the page over the course of his career but seems to be a guy that has a knack perhaps to get after the quarterback how much upside do you see for him at the next level as he tries to actually be a pass rusher you know he's just a he's a tough guy he, he finds a way to get it done he, he's a a wily veteran as far as the collegiate pass rusher is concerned. I think continuing to work on his craft and get more explosive off the ball. You know, that's, that's what you're going to need at the NFL level in order to be effective. In Michigan State, uh, the new defensive line coach, Brandon Jordan, he does a lot of – he trains a lot of NFL high-level guys, 195 active players. About 60 of them were on campus. And you saw the work and the, the, the muscle memory that it takes to continue to play at a high level in the NFL. That's something Jacob Pons, you need to continue to work on. His measurables are okay. Height, weight, speed, it's okay. But definitely uh, needs to, to improve in order to make a roster. I think he'll be a practice team player. Uh, and, and then he can take it to the next level. There's always room for improvement if a man believes he can do it. Uh, but he's gonna take some, it's going to take some work because he's not blessed with those ridiculous get-offs and, and, and physical attributes that you need at this level. 
Well, and we've seen some practice squad guys get opportunities and all of a sudden make a name for themselves once their numbers get called, especially in the COVID world that we currently live in. He is Jason Strayhorn, Michigan State radio analyst. Jason, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us. Not a problem. Thanks, Jason. Take care. You got it. So Jason Trahorn laying out what to expect from the Michigan State prospects. And clearly the running backs are the two players to look out for. Or fullback, tight end, however you want to label Connor Hayward, considering he's basically a jack-of-all-trades. And I'm sure whatever team gets their hands on him can utilize him (laughs) in a myriad of ways. Because, boy, this guy, I mean, he just seems to be that glue guy. On the NFL level, Paul. Uh, he's the FP on your roster. Uh, means football player. <laughs> That's yes. it, FP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't I give him definitely. a position. He's a football <laughs> player. Correct. You just basically say, we'll put him somewhere and we'll make use of him from that capacity. I don't think there's uh, any doubt about it. Well, from one Big Ten program, we will now turn our attention to another program in the Big Ten. And that is, of course, Minnesota. And we are now joined by Minnesota's radio analyst, Daryl Thompson, who is here to break down the Golden Gophers class. Daryl, you got Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. How's everything on your end? Oh, things are good. Yeah, just starting to get a little bit warm here in Minnesota. So we got to take that where we can get it. Absolutely. We'd like it to warm up in New Jersey for individuals that are keeping track of Mother Nature because it feels like winter is returning and maybe staying a little bit longer than we anticipated. (laughs) So I'm glad that we're at least able to make mental notes of each other in terms of what's going on with the weather. But in all seriousness, we brought you on to break down the Minnesota prospects. I want to start up front in the trenches, an area that the Giants certainly are interested in addressing. And I think the most appealing individual is Daniel Falele, 6'9", 387. He comes from Australia, where they're not necessarily known for producing their football players. And the reason I bring that up, Dal, I want to start off with, because I'm always interested in the trajectory of a player. From what I understand, he was a basketball player. He was a rugby player, mainly in high school. And then the University of Hawaii discovers him while they're scouting players and says, hey, maybe he could be a football player. How far has he come in his development at Minnesota, considering it's fair to say he's still a very raw player in his developmental phase. Oh, I would say he's extremely raw. I was just, you know, as watching him over the course of time, you know, and then seeing him out there. And I, quite honestly, I got nervous when we went out there, just watching him at practice, you know, even like the, the tempo and like going from station to station and watching him in the one-on-one drills a little bit. But he's he's grown tremendously, you know, and I think there's, um, you know, you got to be able to bend, you know, especially at, at tackle. And he's probably going to be a right tackle. Uh, most likely in NFL, but his size, um, you just can't teach it. You know, it's like a seven foot five guy in the NBA. He's like, he's going to yep. get a lot of looks because he's seven five. So being six foot nine, 200 or 380 pounds, he probably maybe should lose a little bit of that. But for the most part, he's, uh, he's solid. He moves his feet and um, he's still learning the game. I think he's about probably halfway to where he needs to be, to be a, a real um, bona fide, but he has he has all the equipment, you know. So that part makes you like, I want to work with them. That makes him um, worthy of um, certainly a draft choice. And you get the right offensive line coach with a little bit of patience, willing to spend some extra time in the film with them, and you know some extra time on the field. He could um, you know he could end up playing eight, nine, or ten years in the NFL. Well, let me go multiple levels on this question now, Daryl. And you may take a while to answer this. I get the frame, okay, six eight. 
380, 390, whatever he's checking in at now, and arms of over 35 inches long, which, my goodness, NFL teams love that for tackles for sure. What weight do you think they're going to want him to play at in the National Football League? And then there's obviously, as you just said, patience going to be necessary. For a team like the Giants, they're looking basically for a starting right tackle who's going to play week one this season. I get the impression that he's so raw it's going to take you time before you'd feel comfortable throwing him out there in the starting lineup. How long do you expect that to be? I would think, you know, like maybe like four games to six games. There's just so much that goes on, even for a high draft round choice, a young man that's been playing football his whole life, you know, the speed, the intensity, the just even the practice. I mean, practice at the NFL level is different than it is at the college level. There's not a scout team. You're going to work against somebody that was – all ACC, all SEC, all Big Ten, you know, so it's going to be, it's a different level of intensity. And also the, the terminology and technology of everything that happens at the NFL, at the line of scrimmage, things change, you know, safety walks down, a corner walks down, they leave, a defensive end. I mean, all those things are happening like it, at light speed. So I, I feel like it's going to take them, you know, a minimum four to six weeks before you, you know, toss them out there. I think you just want to ease him out there, you know, on special teams and, um, you know, maybe on like, you know, the, the field goal and those types of things. Just let him get a taste and get a feel, then ease him into the game, and then eventually he stays out there. It's And that's kind of what happened at University of Minnesota. There was a young guy that was struggling playing that right tackle spot, and they they put him out there, and he did a really good job against, uh, I can't remember, the Iowa um, defensive end that actually got drafted, and uh, he did a great job on him and never came back out of the game. Well, speaking of his production, to your point, Daryl, you look at how many sacks he's given up in the number of snaps. One sack his freshman year, three sophomore year, and just one this past season because he opted out of 2020. From an X's and O's standpoint, what's the area that you think he needs to make the biggest stride? We talked about he's got the frame, but when it comes to going up against NFL caliber speed rushers, where do you think he has the most area to grow? Well, I think it's going to be around, you know, patience. You know, he's going to play, you know, people, J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt, you know, um, you know, all the, all the you know, big-time defensive speed rushes are going to come up against him, and it's going to be patience, um, you know, allowing him to use that big frame, staying in front of someone, and make sure they, they run around you to where you want them to run around you versus running around where they want to run around you, which – it takes a while to learn, you know, obviously your, your quarterback and your situation. I know you're focused on, you know, the, the Giants and you guys got, you know, a young quarterback there as well. So it's going to take a little while for him to learn that, but I feel like it's going to be the, the patience and, um, you know, in hand placement for him. He's just, is there's, you can talk about all you want in college and it didn't matter very much, but it matters much, much more in the NFL when the, the technicians and the guys he's playing against are, um, spend all offseason figuring out how to bat arms down and hit arms and shoulders and slap your hip on the way by. I'm well aware that Blaze Andrus does not have the same upside uh, as Daniel does, but an intriguing offensive line prospect nonetheless because he has played significant games at four positions on the O-line, all except center. Uh, I wonder how you see him projecting into the league. Could he potentially be a starter at some point, or is this guy who's going to be a jack-of-all-trades and be a valuable sixth offensive lineman on somebody's NFL team? I think he could do both. I do. I think he could be a starter for someone. I think the the thing to me that I like most about him is he's just he's tough. 
he is a really, really you you have to drag him out of the game. He's not going to come out of the game. He's tough. He's he's physical, and he's also extremely intelligent. I mean, if you can play guard, tackle on both sides, that's a lot. Not only um, um, physically, but it's also just mentally to to reverse everything in your head and be able to you know switch things up and uh, be able to play on other sides. So he's a he's a he's a talented player that's. Obviously, more uh, more ready than Daniel. You no, know, not not quite the tremendous physical assets, but you know he's well over three hundred pounds, six foot six, and he's got long arms. So he's um you know he's got an opportunity as well. I want to ask one other question with respect to the offensive line on the theme that Paul just brought up because Connor Olson also is somebody that's played multiple positions: left guard, center, and right guard. Clearly, doesn't necessarily maybe have the athletic prowess as some of the other individuals that you brought up, but where does he fall in line with Blaze, given his position versatility? You know what, just a little bit behind him, and I think he might be one of those young guys that's it's versatile, you know, because he's played he's played center, he's kind of done it all, center and both guards, so I feel like he's one of those guys, if he gets at the right team, that uh, might be able to carve out a career as a, a backup and a, and a starter every once in a while when you need to, plug somebody in that's uh, steady Eddie going to do what he's supposed to do at the right time at the right place pay attention and practice and that's the type of person and uh, and player that he is so I think he's he has a role he has an op- he'll have an opportunity where do you see the uh, the defensive end Boye Mafe uh, fitting in uh, you know we talk about the length of arms being a big thing in the NFL there's this stigma that the edge rushers or the offensive tackles they got to be 34 or longer he's got 32 and 5 eighths oh that's how they measured him at the combine so some people immediately going to squint and say ah, I don't know about him uh, I'd like to know from someone who's watched him play in and play out where you think he could project you know what's so interesting he played behind Carter Coughlin who you guys you know have yeah. there so yeah. he- that's right. He didn't. He didn't get a lot of opportunity. He kind of came in, and I was like, I'd watch him in practice. I'd look. I was like, God, this guy looks like he looks like a next level guy. You know, actually, probably more than Carter. And I love Carter. He's a great kid. I I know his dad. We're friends. But I was like, boy, he just he needed opportunity, and he needed to be pushed. And when he got opportunity, when he was pushed, he came along. He's got he's got quick twitch. He's he's learned the, the position. He's maybe got to work on his motor a tiny bit, but it feels like he's dialed it up, you know, the last year and a half or two years, not having Carter around. He's accepted that, that leadership role. So I, I think he's going to be, uh, um, I think he's going to be able to really help someone. I don't know exactly how, but I, I think he can help somebody. We're talking with Daryl Thompson, Minnesota radio analyst. There's a follow-up about Mafe, who had a very impressive Daryl week at the Senior Bowl. I mean, I think he really made a name for himself. He was actually named the Senior Bowl's National Player of the Game. But aside from his knack for getting after the quarterback, he had 42 QB pressures this past season. That certainly is impressive. What about stopping the run, tracking ball carriers? Where does he rank there in comparison to the other things that you want out of a defensive end? Oh, I think he can do those things. You know, he's done some of those things. I think he wasn't called on to do a ton of it because of the defense and the style that they played, you know, but he's he does pay attention to detail. He reads his keys. He can, you know, he runs people down, you know, so I feel like he's he'll, he'll have something to learn on that front side of that that run because there's just there's really nothing like, uh, you know, that that tackle and tight end, you know, coming down on you at the at the NFL level. There's it's a it's a different level of um, technique and pad level. I mean, that's one of the things he's going to have to learn, and we all learn, especially when you get in the NFL, that pad level is extremely important, and he'll have to work on that because sometimes he does get a little bit high out of position and can kind of get caught up in the wash. 
let me flip over to uh, the other defensive end. Uh, Zezzy, and I'm going to hope maybe you guys use a nickname during the broadcasts. For, for I'll when go, you're, I'll, how would if I say it for you? Otumwa. Otumwa? Otumwa. Uh, Otumwa. Yeah. Okay, fairly close. Uh, what do you project for him? I, I, I saw numbers that said 6'5", 282. Uh, I did not watch any any specific cuts on him, so I don't know exactly how high he compares to uh, to Mafe. He's not quite the. He's different. He's he's better. I wouldn't say not quite the same quick twitch as um, as Boye Mafe, but he's been he's been steady. He's improved, and he kind of surprised me this year making some plays. But I I would be. Um, I think he's probably more of a later opportunity for someone. I think he can do it, but I just don't know if he's got everything that you're looking for um, in the you know, NFL uh, defensive end. Does it have to do, Daryl, with his length? I mean, he's 6'6", not to say that that's abnormal, but you know, sometimes when these guys are long and lanky, sometimes they just don't know how to utilize their body frame, especially once they try to make the transition from college to the NFL. How much do you think it's a product of that, perhaps? Oh, I think there's a, a little bit of that. I also think he's just he's not quite as fast, but he he's he's smart. He makes plays, and he's probably plays with actually better um, leverage at the point of attack than Boye does. And he's had he's had more time. He's more of a season. And Boye came to football. I'd say just maybe just a tiny bit, not not late like uh, our guy Falele did, but uh, maybe just a little bit later. But it says he um, has played more and maybe had a little bit more on-field production. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he, you know, if he caught on with the, with the club and was able to uh, make a roster and help someone. He is Daryl Thompson, Minnesota radio analyst. Daryl, greatly appreciate the time and the inside and look forward to talking down the road. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Daryl. Yeah, you guys have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Our pleasure. So Daryl Thompson breaking down the Golden Gophers class. I have a few offensive linemen and some pass rushers in addition to what we spoke about on Michigan State side with the running back. So a variety of different prospects to look forward to as we inch closer to the 2022 NFL Draft, which is less than a month away. This is Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. A reminder, Giants fans, you can secure your season tickets for the 2022 season today for only $100. Limited seats are available. You can speak with a Giants ticket representative now. Become a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Let's open up the phone lines. Chris is in Rochester, and he joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Chris? Hey, guys. How's it, go- how's it going? Doing well. Uh, How about I, yourself? I created, I created a list this time, so I wouldn't uh, pop the wheels off the road. <clears throat> a couple things I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, what, the first one, Paulie, I wanted to tell you. Hey, is Paulie even on the show? I just got on. Yeah, it's Paul Dottino and Lance Meadow here. Yes. Okay, excellent. Go ahead, man. <clears throat> so, I, last time I called, I was talking about drafting Sam Howell if we got an extra second-round pick, and I just didn't want you guys to think that I was giving up on Daniel Jones. I, I wanted him for, like, insurance in case both of them went down because the Giants have had just – our injuries the last couple of years, I mean, they've ruined us. They've ruined the squad. In case okay. both, in other words, if Jones and Tyrod Taylor both get hurt, so you're you're, yeah. you're looking already to draft yeah. the th- third quarterback and deciding that Davis Webb could not possibly be that guy. 
because uh, Howell, he's a runner, you know. He's got athletic ability. I was just thinking he's in the line with Tyrod and, and Daniel Jones. Well, I really think that Daniel Jones is going to stay healthy. And if we can get the kid a line, I think he's going to light the NFL on fire. He's never had the opportunity. Everybody well, rags on the kid, but he's never had an offensive line. Saquon's been down. All of his weapons, he's never had them all together for a period of time. Well, your, your optimism yeah. on Daniel Jones is fine, and I do think that most people in the building think that Daniel Jones will, will get the job done. But to be frank with you, the Giants have so many other holes that drafting the third-string quarterback – uh, as high as uh, second or third round, which is probably where Howell is going to go, yeah. seems like uh, a very out-of-the-box idea. I think Lance would agree with me on this one. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and you pretty much took the words out of yeah. my mouth, Paul. I was going to say when you prioritize the third-string quarterback, which is how you worded it, Chris, and yeah. you're utilizing a second or a third-round pick on that, it just I don't see how that's a sensible move, not for the position this team is in. Now, if you're going to draft Sam Howell, I'm telling you right now, you're not bringing him in because you have ideas of him being the third stringer. You probably have ideas of maybe bringing him in as competition and maybe being a guy that you can hand the starting job to in the event that Daniel Jones doesn't work out. I don't think if the Giants make a move like that, the rationale behind that is not in the event Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor get hurt, we have some other guy to turn to. To Paul's point, Davis Webb could fill that role easily. As insurance, you don't need to draft somebody. And, and besides, Davis Webb also knows Brian Dable's system like the exactly. back of his hand. Yeah. We've already heard about his acumen and how much he was already a pseudo coach for the Bills. So his job here, I, I would tell you right now, I think the Giants' first, second, and third string quarterbacks, I think they're pretty much darn yeah. well cemented into those three spots. <laughs> I, I don't think there's going to be anything changing about those three roster spots this year. And Chris, the other thing that I wanted to throw out, yeah. I know you mentioned you were concerned about Tyrod Taylor getting hurt. In fairness, the year he was with the Chargers, which wasn't last season, the year prior, he got a shot to tolerate pain, and the doctor punctured his lung. I mean, that's not really an injury, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a very rare Terrible. circumstance. Idiot. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't get too caught up in the injuries. I mean, he did get hurt when he was with the Cleveland Browns, and that opened the door for Baker, but that wasn't a season-ending injury that he suffered. It was just Baker played very well and kept the starting job. Well, guys, it's not out of the realm for the Giants to drop two of one position. You know, you guys have the good points, but I have, like, a specific plan for the draft. It was like, if, if Neil, Neil Riquano aren't there at four, then we use our picks to trade back target uh, Trevor Penning, because he's going to be mean. Six seven three thirty three. he can move. I know I heard you guys, you know, the guys taking shots at him and stuff like that, but I feel like the kid's going to be good. <clears throat> and that'll give us picks to, to go back. Like, what if the Lions pick Ahmad Gardner at two, and then they want to trade up 32, give us 32-34 for pick seven after we've already got Neil. We'd trade seven I don't really feel like going back that far, but we would get some good picks. They got 66, so it's 32, 34, and 66. And I feel like that's what the meat is. The, the main guys that I hope we get are Neil, Linderbaum, Travis Jones, and Trey McBride. Those are the four I hope we get. All right, Chris. Well, we appreciate the phone call. 
we've talked about this time and time again, Paul, in terms of the Giants' philosophy and perhaps trading back. And if there's conviction in the room that they feel they're still in striking distance of grabbing a few players that they're interested in, I have no problem with that. But I do think there's a great appeal of 5-7. and seven. And keep in mind, any hypothetical for a team that's going to want to move up in all likelihood is going to want a quarterback. And I think the jury is still out with respect to how many are going to go. Could I mm-hmm. see one guy being taken in the top 10? Of course. I don't think that's crazy. Multiple guys? I think I'd be a little bit surprised if that happens. But I would think, Paul, in order for there to be a good market for the Giants to be able to cash in, and then you also remember have to determine how far are you willing to go back to. Exactly. That's the other part of the equation. I think that's going to dictate a lot about whether or not it seems attractive and right for the Giants. And at this point, on the surface, I don't think the market is extremely red hot for maybe the Giants to fully capitalize well, on Well, you that. know, the other day John mentioned on the program, and he's right, the, the, the quarterback market has mutated just a bit because Atlanta and Seattle, who are right behind the Giants, who are in that seventh slot, yep. uh, they've gotten rid of – you know, their quarterbacks, Russell yeah, Wilson Yeah, but why do they Matt have Ryan. to move up? I mean, they well, can no, stay no. right where they are. No, no, but it's yeah. entirely possible, okay, that let's say Carolina, right behind Atlanta, is saying, you know what, we only like one of these guys. Let's say they're all in on picket. Seattle. I mean, Seattle, Seattle. Let's say they're all in on picket, okay? And they're like, man, you know, Falcons might take him. Uh, we got to jump him. Uh, well, maybe they're calling up Joe Shane and they're saying we, we got to jump Atlanta because we think they like the same guy we like and the other quarterbacks on this list they're not nearly worth as much as Pickett because we think Pickett's the guy I mean it could happen I, I, I understand it. it the situation has changed a little bit over the last month with Seattle and Atlanta both getting rid of their uh, veteran established future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I, I do think it's changed a tad. I don't necessarily think that I would change my philosophy. You and I on this are totally copacetic. We totally agree on this, Lance. Uh, if the Giants really see two players they've got conviction in, they damn well should take them at 5-7 and seven and not make a deal. But I could see the phone ringing in Joe Shane's office a little more likely or a little more higher possibility than I would have a month ago. That I doesn't mean you know, that. that doesn't yeah. mean he should jump at it though. No. And, and by I, the way, we should mention Andy Dalton gets a one-year, three million dollar guarantee from the Saints with incentives uh, worth up to another six. Uh, so that's one other quarterback spot that has just changed. And it's interesting that this happens because I got a phone call yesterday from somebody very high up in the league who said to me, and I'm going to say this now because I can say it. I couldn't t- say it before. Um, there was a lot of feelings around the league that the Saints would be very interested in moving up from 18 and that they would be a potential trading partner for the Giants to go up and get a quarterback in the top 10. Now that they've just signed Andy Dalton, even though it's not a huge amount of money, I suspect that that would be a little bit less on the front burner for New Orleans. Well, and on top of that, they re-signed Jameis Winston, so you got two veterans, and I know Taysom Hill is not necessarily your conventional quarterback, but you still have him on the roster too, and Mm -hmm. I get it. They're trying to maybe convert him full-time to tight end, but the bottom line is there's options on that roster right now, and it's not like they got a boatload of money more to throw out. But Dalton's viable. I mean, look, I'm not a Winston guy. 
But I, I would, I would believe that Dalton's going down there with the opportunity to compete for the job. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. I like Andy Dalton. I've so do sung I. his praises year in and year out. I thought when Dallas brought him in, it made a lot of sense because when you have a veteran like that who has starting experience, there's value for a guy like that in the league because you just never know whether or not your quarterback's going to stay healthy. But he's also, for him, Paul, it's a comfortable position because if you look at where he's been, whether it be in Dallas or Chicago this past year, and I understand the Saints may not have a rookie quarterback like Justin Fields was in Chicago, but I think he's comfortable where, hey, if I can compete, great. If not, I'm comfortable being the backup. Jameis has had some injuries as of late. Who knows what type of shape he's going to be in as training camp starts. It may be a very attractive opportunity for him to actually get an opportunity to start. You mm-hmm. never know yeah, based could on be. how things play out. Could be. Yeah. I, I certainly think so. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have Dalton and Winston as my starter, to be frank with you. Uh, and Tom Palacero, by the way, uh, also putting out uh, a short time ago during our guest interviews that the NFL owners approved a modified overtime rule for only the postseason, which is going to give both teams a possession. And then after that, if the game is still tied, there would be sudden death. So apparently uh, this is sources say, and Tom Pelissero is reporting it. I'm sure we'll, we'll get more from the league in the ensuing hours, but it looks like they have decided to tweak the uh, overtime rule, Lance. Yeah, I'm anti that. I really was hoping that they would just keep the rule as is. Uh, I think defense is important and it shouldn't be undervalued, and I think it becomes undervalued by forcing everybody to have a possession. I also love the fact that they're just implementing it for the postseason as opposed to the regular season. Mm -hmm. When you know ties obviously impact the standings, which is going to determine whether or not you could be on the outside looking in at the playoff picture. Sure. So I would think, why not experiment with it during the regular season in the first year you're going to implement it, Paul, to see whether or not it's truly effective as opposed to just waiting for the postseason. Because if you remember, normally when they make rule changes, remember when they changed the extra point, they experimented Mm -hmm. with it in the preseason, Paul, right before they then rolled it over? So I would have thought if you're going to do this change, to do it in the regular season and use that as your guinea pig. A little bit surprised that it's just for the sake of the postseason. Yeah, I think you make a valid point. Obviously, what happened with the playoffs, uh, you know, got a lot of people upset. And I think that maybe they felt that if they were going to do something, they'd have to implement it in the postseason so that it would have a significant and dramatic effect after people had the knee-jerk reaction to saying that a change had to be made. And also, remember, we had a postseason that wasn't just the – Chiefs Bills. Remember the following week, Cincinnati right. played Kansas City, and the Bengals actually made a defensive <laughs> stop. Right? You know? Hey, you know, so, you know me, Lance, old school no, guy. I sure. just assume go back to original sudden death. Yeah. I mean, to be frank with you, that's better than than what I thought they had in play this year. One other thing, I just wanted to add before we head back to the phone lines about your point about maybe a team like Seattle or Atlanta doing some wheeling and dealing. Carolina, keep in mind, Paul, and I understand this is a different year. They were in position to draft a quarterback last year, Mm -hmm. okay? And they chose not to do that. So when you think the quarterback class was stronger last year, they chose not to draft a quarterback, it'd be kind of interesting for them to now take a quarterback the following year when the class isn't nearly as strong. But if they're enamored, which is I think what you were alluding to, with one guy in particular who they think is the strongest candidate, then maybe they would pull the trigger. 
So it'll be certainly interesting to monitor from that standpoint. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Jason in Virginia joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jason? Hey, guys, how are you? Hi, doing all right. What do you got for us? Good, good, good. I want to put the GM hat on you both real quick. Who, if any, of the players in the first round, you get to number five, if they were available, would you not pick up the phone to take a call about? You just run the card right up to the front. So that, and for the second part, let's say at five and seven, we do not pick a pass rusher. It comes to the second round, and David Ajabo is still sitting there. Would you take him knowing, you know, he's probably not going to get on the field till November, December, and he's probably not going to be anything that resembles who he was in college until next year, more than likely? And uh, I'll just take your answer off the air. All right. Two interesting questions, and appreciate the phone call. So, Paul, I guess we should start with his first question, mm-hmm. which is Giants get to five. There are a few guys on the board. Who would you absolutely not entertain a phone call? Meaning you'd say, hey, we're giving him the card. We're taking him. No questions asked. Well, I'm going to assume, and I think you'll agree with me, Hutchinson's going to be gone by then. Yes, but if he is okay. available, he would certainly fit <laughs> under that pill. Okay, think, let's just make I that crystal clear. both of us would get on a yes. motorcycle, right? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, realistically, uh, I, I, because of the way names are being bantied about, if Aquanu, Neal, or Thibodeau are there, I mean, just pull the phone out of the wall and throw yep. it out the window. I'm taking any one of those three guys if they're there, and I'm not not going to pick up that receiver. And Gardner I would throw in there too. I think if he's there and the Giants – feel as if, once again, Bradbury's future up in the air, whatever it may be, I would consider not necessarily immediately picking up the phone for him. He'd be maybe my honorable mention, Paul, out of that group after the three that you named. That's fine. That's how I would round out the players that I really don't think it's necessary to move down because I think you're getting an impactful player out of that group. Now, he asked about a Jabo, and I'm going to tell you flat out, he's off my board. Interesting. I'm not I'm not touching him. Well, it's a significant injury. There's no doubt about it. I don't eliminate him. I would certainly need to see all the medical feedback from the initial injury. I want my medical team to really look at it closely. If they feel it's something that he can recover from and they feel pretty good and it's in comparison to another related football injury, maybe to a former Giants player or somebody else, I wouldn't rule him completely out. I would be willing to take a chance. I don't know about a second-round pick. Maybe I'd wait a little bit longer than that, but I would not rule him out because there are other guys that got hurt, and they've come sure. back, and they've made an impact. Well, For Jalen example, Smith was one of them. Jalen Smith, it was guy Jeffrey Simmons sure. is another guy, right, sure. I would throw out on Tennessee. So, you know, that's another reason why, because of past history, I'm not completely eliminating a guy. But here's where it's a little bit different, Paul, for the Giants compared to some of those other teams like Dallas, who you mentioned that took Jalen Smith in Tennessee with Jeffrey Simmons. The Giants, I keep saying, they're in a position where they need these guys to come in year one and make their presence felt. Correct. So if you draft a guy like Ojabo, you're basically sacrificing the first year. Mm -hmm. You're essentially saying, we love his upside, we love his potential, but we're not getting anything out of him in 2022. I don't know if the Giants have that luxury right now in comparison to a Dallas or a Tennessee when they made those selections. So that's why the hesitancy would be there more, but I would absolutely not remove him completely from my board. 
Let's put it this way. I, I agree with you. You'd have to have, as I always say, and I, I've been harping on medical stuff for years and years and years on this program. There's no doubt the first, second, and third phone calls are to the medical staff and find out, are you guys yep. in strong conviction that this guy can be anything close to what he's supposed to be? If they give me an affirmative, he might weasel his way into the third day of the draft board for me. But that's as high as it's going to go because there's no way in the world that I'm going to let this team take any of their first five picks, which right now encompasses the first three rounds, and take a player who is going to have to sit out at least a year because of a serious medical injury. There's just no way in the world, if I were a GM, that that would happen. Yeah, it'd be the equivalent of you're taking on a red shirt, essentially, in terms of your incoming class. Like if this was college and you had five prospects, right, that you recruited – you're basically saying four are going to play year one, and then the next one, hopefully, we'll get him back for his sophomore year. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't think the Giants have that luxury and that leeway right now. Let's head back to the lines before we wrap up shop. CJ is in Maryland joining us. What's happening, CJ? Hey, how CJ? you guys doing? Yeah. Hi. Uh, I had a couple questions. Number one, I'm number one, I'm like another, a player at a position of need. I haven't heard that at all of um, trading him for a player. Um, maybe not the same cost, maybe slightly lower cost, so you're still saving some on the cap, but you're getting a player so that we're not just losing James Bradbury and just hoping on a young uh, guy to replace him. And well, the, uh, other uh, question let, was, let me answer you real quick on that one because it's an easy answer. The only reason you're trading James Bradbury, if you do, is because you need the, the 12 or $13 million uh, of cap room. That's the only reason you're trading him, because he is a very good player. There's no reason to trade him otherwise. And if economics is the primary reason and only reason to trade him, then you're not going to want to take on somebody else's contract and their money. Yeah, that's sort of counterproductive, which is the best way I would describe it, C.J., Bradbury would be to give you more flexibility, financially speaking. So why are you then going to swap him for another player? If that's the case, then just keep Bradbury, right? Well, Have him still be on your roster. Lance, the, the caller suggesting you trade him for somebody who's significantly less money, who's got a much well, cheaper contract. But, of course, what we're trying to tell the caller is that they need as much room as possible. And if that's the impetus for trading the player, then you might as well clear out all that room. There's no sense in taking on any yeah. other funds. Well, and you might as well get a draft pick that you could utilize yeah. on whoever you want. Exactly. Right? I mean, you could tell me there's a young player with upside, but, Paul, the bottom line is that guy's still getting a contract. Mm-hmm. He's still going to eat up no some doubt. space. No doubt. No matter what it may be. So You want the space. Yeah. The space is more valuable to you at this time than anything else. Correct. So, I mean, I think that, to me, is the most practical way. Go to ahead, caller. Oh, he's, I think gone we may have, he's gone. Yeah, I think we may have lost CJ. So I know he may have had another question, so we could hopefully try to get him back on on a future show. So that is going to wrap things up for us here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running again on Wednesday, noon Eastern. We'll continue to preview more schools as we inch closer to the draft. A reminder, today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we will speak to you on Wednesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.